You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about youth sports participation. Joining me is Beth Devine, an executive director of the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. Thanks for joining me today, Beth. Thanks so much for having me. So much of the emphasis on youth sports that I've learned in medicine is related to the benefits for physical health. We're just starting to talk more, though, about the benefits for mental health, and we haven't even really been taught that much about the benefits on social-emotional development. I've learned a new term recently, sports-based youth development. And so sports-based youth development programs use sports to facilitate learning and life skill development in young people. That sounds like a lot more than just playing flag football at the park with the intention of improving physical health. So Beth, can you give me an example of what a sports-based youth development program or organization looks like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have 70 organizations that consider the work they do sports-based youth development. And by definition, and what our member organizations have kind of centered around is that providing a safe space that's affordable and accessible to any child that wants to participate. It definitely includes intentional programming. Most organizations that we work with have both on and off the field court programming, which means they might focus in on academic support or grit or leadership skills and a host of other things. I think most importantly, sports-based youth development includes trained coaches So coaches go through a series of different trainings, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then a lot of our organizations measure outcomes, which means they track participation and progress in some way. And these are some of the things that kind of differentiate sports-based youth development organizations and programs from traditional youth sport. So then can you help me understand how the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative works with these sports-based youth development organizations to improve the delivery of sports to Philly kids? Sure. Yeah. So the first thing we do is we support the organizations themselves with a lot of training and learning opportunities. We provide a host of programs over the course of a year that supports training for organizational leaders and their boards. And then we also train coaches and we train coaches on everything from the technical stuff, you know, like uh, CPR and mandated reporting and the things that anybody that works with children should know or have. But then we also focus on, you know, coaching philosophies and also trauma-informed coaching methods. Many of our kids in urban settings come into programs with really challenging backgrounds and experiences. So we want to make sure that our coaches are equipped to manage that. And then the other thing that we do for our community is we supply outcome measurement tools so that organizations can learn and understand how their program delivery is impacting kids and what changes they can make so that they can constantly be improving. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was access, and many of my patients do not always have equitable access to sports-based youth development programs or sports in general. Our South Philadelphia Primary Care Center, where I practiced for many years, 
has the fortune of being co-located with a recreation center and a park where kids have access to a number of sports-based youth development programs. However, I hear from many patients who live in other areas of the city that there are no local programs for them. So how does the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative help increase equitable access? And what have you learned in this process that other cities can emulate? Well, I think it's important that we as an organization promote the members' work so that more families and parents and caregivers can know that there are and that there is this enormous ecosystem of sports-based youth development organizations that are providing services throughout the city. But also, we believe that these opportunities have to exist in every school and neighborhood. So what we've done as the collaborative is not only encouraged our member organizations to promote their work across the city, and we do that for them wherever we can, but we also work really closely with all the youth-facing agencies like Parks and Rec and the school district to make sure if there's an available space, it's got some programs. So an example of that is we worked with the school district to create the elementary school and a mural program. You know, we've grown that to about 18 schools, and our goal is to get to 30 to 50 schools over the next couple of years so that a child doesn't have to go looking for a program. It's right at school. We also have a new relationship with Parks and Rec where we're looking to partner with some of the rec leaders in neighborhoods with high need for programming and work with them to identify what types of programs they need and help them get those off the ground. Such great points about partnering with existing resources, schools being a big one, as you mentioned, because kids are already there. So that's a great tip for other cities and for pediatricians getting the word out about some of these programs. As you mentioned, sometimes cities have great programs already that are small, and it's just hard for people to know that they exist. So if you learn about those in your community, spreading that word in your practice can be a good way to get kids connected to those resources. Absolutely. I mean, we always encourage people to send people into your rec center. You know, you might not find Mm -hmm. it online. You might not find it hanging on a poster somewhere. But if you go into the rec center, your rec leaders are the most knowledgeable people. They know exactly what runs in their centers and when and how to get involved. And so I would encourage folks to um, ask at school, ask at your rec center, ask at your community center, and see who the players are that are helping to drive some of this work. And then, of course, our website, we have our 70 members on the website. And, you know, together they're serving 65,000 kids, but we also know Philadelphia has a lot more kids than that. So the more we can engage, the better. Now, you mentioned coaches a few times. In most of the community sports that I've seen, coaches are local parents who sign up to spend more time with their kids. In many cases, they played the same sport as a child and they want to pass along their love of it to children in their community. In other cases, though, they're just filling a need in their community, and maybe it's not their passion. They just signed up to help out. Tell us a little bit, though, about the importance of coach education and what skills are you hoping to impart? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple things I can comment on here, but I think the most important thing is a sport doesn't run without a coach, Mm -hmm. and they're the single most critical piece in the area of access as well as the child's experience. You know, in some settings, coaches spend more time with kids than their own parents, so we we want to do a couple things. One is we want to educate. Coaches are generally there doing the right thing, you know, and they and they know that they're impacting kids. I think anybody that's coached probably has a story about a kid that they can remember that they had an impact on. But, you know, when we when we make connections to their work and what the kids are coming into them with and the various challenges and trauma that the children have experienced, and we can provide the coaches with just a new way of looking at that and a new way of thinking about that, and um, some tools to manage all of that, 
the program's going to have much better long-term physical and mental health outcomes for each child that goes through it. I really do believe that coaching needs to come from the expectations of the young person, not of the adult. And I think what we see in some of these more traditional spaces is, you know, the adults are running the show and the kids may or may not be having a really good time. Mm -hmm. So in our space, you know, we want to develop a child. That's first and foremost. And what that really comes down to is effective relationship building. Everything else stems from that. So we want to make sure that we educate the coaches around all that so that they can see their important role. And then the other thing we really want to do is in a city that needs more jobs and more job pipelines, we want young coaches to understand that this is a career path. You know, they can coach at Parks and Rec. They can coach at a high school. They can coach at an elementary school or, or a middle school. It is a viable job. So if we can get young people into the coaching space and give them the tools to really make impact, that could be a lifelong career for them if that's what they're interested in. So the more coaches we can create, support, and train, the better everyone will be in this space because we'll have more people to run good programs. So many good points there. I love thinking about the fact that coaches may come to coaching with a lot of personal experience in the sport, a lot of knowledge about the sport and coaching, but not necessarily about child development and trauma, as you mentioned, to better understand the athletes that they're working with. And so I love that you're giving them that context to just really elevate their coaching. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a young coach and I remember thinking, boy, I wish I knew all this, you know, because mm -hmm. when you become a coach, oftentimes you just emulate how you've been coached. Right. There's no real educational process for coaching except experience. And if I came up with not a whole lot of really good, strong coaches, then I'm probably not going to be all that effective. Mm -hmm. So we keep thinking, you know, the most important people to turn on to the coaching space are kids who have come through these programs. They're the primary people that should be getting back involved in these programs to kind of hand down what they've experienced to the next generation of kids. And so, you know, the more we can foster that growth and that expansion of that space, you know, the better it'll be for the programs and the kids. That's great. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, the benefits of regular physical activity and sports have been well documented, but the impacts of things like sports-based youth development programs have not. However, your organization collects data and studies the outcome of your collaborator programs. So what's the impact on social-emotional learning in the youth who participate in your collaborator programs? Yeah, so the reason we looked at social and emotional learning as a common measure is because we felt it was the best measurement of what sports is naturally positioned to do for a child, no matter what the sport is or no matter, like, the way it's delivered. Because, you know, social and emotional learning centers around relationships, and sports are really designed for a child to build a relationship with an adult, a coach mentor. It's designed to build a relationship with peers, teammates, competitors, you know, and so we felt that social emotional learning was a great way to kind of just see if sports were supporting children in, in the ways that we had hoped they were. And we did find as we study this more and more, and as this becomes more of a, a national conversation, that all after school activities, extracurriculars are good for children. Sports is designed and ends up driving outcomes a little bit better, you know, so mm -hmm. We're a group of people that say we want kids engaged and involved in the after-school space on the weekends. You know, we want them involved in things to do. But, you know, we believe that the way sports is set up, it's just a little bit unique because of the nature of the activity. So we do see very common increases across the board in social-emotional constructs. 
Are there gender or ethnicity differences in terms of who benefits the most from these sports-based youth development programs? Yeah, so there's a significant difference in in the number of boys that develop social and emotional learning compared to boys in non-sport programs. That's actually 5% more. And when you look at that, you might think, oh, well, 5% is not that much. But when you think about how many kids out there are participating in sports, if you apply that 5% to that number, mm-hmm. it's an enormous amount of kids that if they were involved in a, in a youth development-focused sports program, they would develop these skills at a much larger rate. We also see that the boys and the girls kind of favor different pieces of social-emotional learning. So boys tend to gravitate towards, you know, building a relationship with a coach, being able to set and manage their own goals that are important to them, you know, and kind of broaden their horizons, kind of see a way forward for themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas girls are really interested in programs where the coach spends time building the relationships with them, making sure that their voices and opinions matter. And um, as someone who worked really specifically with girls for a number of years, I saw that all the time. Girls really wanted to have a say in what the activities were. They wanted to have a say in what things looked like when they came into this space to play. So sharing power was is really important to girls. So as you said, the youth girls needed to know that their voices and opinions mattered. And prior research has shown that between the ages of six and nine, children are equally interested in sports participation. But by the age of 14, girls drop out of sports at a rate that it's six times greater than boys. So what's your organization doing to help support girls in their sports participation? I think a couple things are at play here. I think girls drop out because in a lot of spaces, girls programming isn't necessarily prioritized. And so We've seen, you know, organizations say, well, you know, we, we have co-ed programs and the girls never come play. And it's like, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> they don't necessarily want to come out and play with boys who are taking things more seriously or more competitively when they're young and girls maybe haven't tried the activity yet. There's just some assumptions there. And I, so I think that what we do is we encourage people to create programming that is specific to and for girls. Mm -hmm. The second thing we're doing is we're actually working with Parks and Rec and with the school district to carve those spaces out. The girls want a safe space. They don't want to be judged by a bunch of boys that are in the, and you know, I'm not knocking the boys. The boys should be off doing their thing too. But I think being mindful of what the girls experience in sport is and what they want it to be means you have to provide that. You can't just throw it up there like you do a boys activity and expect the girls to be happy with it and wanting to participate long term. So our job is to make sure that we train girls coaches to help them understand what girls do want in these programs and what they will be responsive to. You know, a lot of times there aren't that many female coaches. So we are, Mm -hmm. you know, focused with Parks and Rec and with the school district to recruit and create and pay female coaches so that they can drive the programming that the girls are interested in and will continue to participate in. Yeah, so important to create spaces where people feel welcome and safe and see role models for them that are ahead in the pipeline and motivate them to stick with that sport. So all great points. So pediatricians routinely talk to kids about their physical activity. And, you know, before the summer, I'm talking to all my patients about what their summer plans are. Before the school year, I'm talking about what, you know, they're doing once school goes back in session in the winter. I'm talking about how they can stay active and move their bodies when the weather is not nice. So what advice do you have for pediatricians when they're talking to kids about physical activity and the conversation of sports, that topic of sports comes up? I think it really just needs to be treated as a healthy option 
I'm not sure how willing kids are to jump into the space of sports are good for my physical and mental health, but I think that they know that that activity is a healthy activity. So I think Mm -hmm. helping kids and families and pointing them in the right direction to find these types of activities, and the hope is in a couple of years that they'll be a lot more readily found in more schools and more neighborhood rec centers. But there's a lot that does exist out there, and a lot of it's programmatic in nature. So if a child isn't necessarily up for you know, hopping on a, a travel team at, at a younger age and wants to get into a programmatic space, that does exist. And in our collaborative alone, it exists in basically every activity, every sporting activity there is. So I think when a pediatrician is addressing families who are looking for activities for their kids, it's just having some of the tools to give to the families so that they can find these activities or at least inquire. Mm-hmm. That'll help kids just kind of feel a little bit more comfortable about getting out there and getting involved in the various activities that are there. And then, you know, we're certainly always a resource. We can always help them reach out to um, their schools or their rec centers. And there are a few really robust resources in the after-school activities space that we can point people to. So I think it's really just educational, knowing that you know, a pediatrician is always going to be focused on what's healthy for a child and what's healthy for their physical health and their mental health. And we know that sports fills that void. So, you know, the hope is that they would just be able to kind of nudge families in the right direction to find the right experience for their child. That's a great takeaway point for us that it's good for pediatricians to know what resources for sports are in the community so that they can encourage those healthy choices for after school and weekend sports participation. If people are local to Philadelphia, they should check out the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative website for more resources. And if you're not local, there may be similar organizations in your community that you can look to to learn about local resources so that you can be an advocate for your patients. So thank you so much, Beth, for joining us today and telling us more about sports-based youth development and the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative and all of the amazing things that you're doing to help keep kids healthy. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.